Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. This message is from the series Ephesians, Who We Are and What We Do in Christ, and was preached on September 26, 2021. And we're going into the book of Ephesians again, and and we get to a, a change of focus in the book of Ephesians today. We're at the beginning of chapter 4, and at the halfway point of the book of Ephesians, Paul changes his focus. Up to this point, he's been giving us truth. He's been giving us doctrine. This is who we are as believers. This is who God is. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus did for us. This is how we become Christians, by grace, through faith. This is who people of other ethnicities and philosophies and moralities are. This is what a church is. He's been giving us very biblical, solid doctrine. And now that he laid that foundation, this is truth, he takes that truth and he tells us how to live. He gets practical. Based on all this truth that I gave you, this is how you should live as believers. This is how A church operates. This is how believers are different from non-believers. This is how to speak. This is how to deal with anger. This is how to do family life. This is what Christian parenting is all about. This is how to do your job. This is how to grow strong in the faith. This is what pastors do. He gets very, very practical now that he has laid the truth. But I don't want you to think of it as two different books. I want you to see it as, as two parts of the same thing. And see that the two parts are deeply connected. For how we live as Christians is based on who we are as Christians. And so the two halves of the books are interconnected. It's not, I'm going to teach you doctrine, and then I'm going to teach you how to live. It's, I'm going to teach you how to live based on doctrine and who you are. And so everything he will teach us from this point on about how to follow Jesus is based on who we are as followers of Jesus. If you know what a screwdriver is, it's really easy to use. It doesn't make a really good putty knife. It's not an incredibly great pry bar, but it's great for what it works, what it's designed for. What it is and how it works are deeply interconnected. How about this tool? Do you know what this is? Yeah, this is a glass cutter. Now, if you didn't know what that is, you wouldn't have a clue on how it works. But once you know what it is, you can see that the how it works is connected. And that's what Paul's doing in his book. Who we are and what we do are interconnected. How about this tool? Hmm. I, I stumped you on this one a little bit, huh? This, this, this is a tailpipe cutter. Okay, it has little cutting tools on there. You, you put it around and you, you tighten it and, 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 and it cuts a, a tailpipe. Unfortunately, thieves have learned how to use this tool and they can take off a catalytic converter in, in, in next to no time. But see, if you don't know what it is, you have no idea how to use it. 
But once you know what it is, then you can understand the, how to use it. And that's what Paul is doing in the book of Ephesians when he's talking about this is truth. Now, this is how to use it. And the two points are interconnected. He spent three chapters teaching us who we are. And when you know that, then you can learn what to do. And by the way, that's why it's so wrong, and that's why people have so much trouble with some of Paul's teachings when they take them out of context. If you don't understand the who we are, you're not going to understand the what we do. And so many people have trouble with Paul's teachings on unity, or Paul's teachings on the family, or Paul's teachings on men and women, or Paul's teachings on forgiveness. They didn't buy into the truth, so clearly they're not going to buy into the application of that truth. So with that said, and with that transition, this is truth, now this is how to live I want us to understand that, that what we're about to read in Ephesians chapter 4 is the introduction to Christian life based on Christian truth. So let's stand together and read Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. That's our passage for today. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, the therefore, the then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now see, if you didn't know chapters 1 through 3, you wouldn't know what calling he's talked about, what Jesus did in the gospel and how he saved us. So as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You may be seated. It's an incredible passage, and it really does function as that uh, transition. This is the truth. Now, based on that truth, this is how we are supposed to live. And I want to share with you three truths today on how we are supposed to live Please pay close attention and understand these points because these are foundational to everything he teaches in the rest of the book. And you will never understand Christian living if you don't understand these points today. So let me start with this, and I've already introduced this thought, but you really need to understand it. Right living is built on right thinking, and right thinking is built on God's truth. Okay? Right living is built on right thinking, and right thinking is built on God's truth. Now think about that. If you do not believe that God is all-powerful and all-loving and all-wise, then you won't take God and His Word seriously. I can preach all day on the necessity of reading the Bible, but if you don't believe that God knows everything and is all-loving and is all-powerful and gave us all truth, then, then, then you have no real compulsion to read the Bible. It's just another book. What you do is based on what you believe. If you don't understand the incredible love that Jesus showed us and the incredible price that Jesus paid so that we might be right with God and have everlasting life, then we will have no real reason to follow Jesus. He's just another dead guy if you don't believe he's alive. He's just someone that lived 2,000 years ago if you don't really believe he is God's son. 
And if you don't believe that he died on the cross and rose again, then you have no real compulsion to follow him. And so again, right behavior is built on right thinking and on biblical truth. If you don't understand how God views people, all people, then you will have no real desire to treat people, all people, with love and compassion and respect. Because right living is based on right thinking, and right thinking is based on biblical and doctrinal truth. So let me give you just, just a few examples here. Okay? I hear all the time something like this when I'm talking to people or teaching people about a, a sin-filled behavior, something that you shouldn't do. I, I, I'm not going to really go into this, but, but one of the things that's bugging me in, in Arizona culture now is that we have become, a, once again, more so than ever, a, a gambling kind of community with all the sports betting going on. It really bugs me. But I'm not going into bet, gambling today. But when I talk about a behavior like that, uh, I often get an answer like this. Yes, well, technically, it might be sin. But God forgives. So it's no big deal. You can always ask for God's forgiveness, right? Now, you've heard that. I hope you haven't used that, but my hunch is we all have at one time or another, at least that thinking. It's wrong, but God's going to forgive me, so it's no big deal. Now, that justification is based on bad thinking. They're, they're correct in thinking that God forgives, but they don't understand the holiness of God or how sin separates us from God. They're wrong in thinking that forgiveness means that God is saying sin is no big deal. Sin caused Jesus to die on the cross. And so it is wrong for any reason, to trivialize it as no big deal. As always, wrong thinking leads to wrong behavior. And if I fully understand the gospel, then I am much more likely to live in a way that Jesus wants me to live. And to follow the great command in this passage to live a life worthy of the calling. If I do not understand the calling, then what am I doing? That phrase, live a life worthy of the calling, means absolutely nothing to me. So right living is built on right thinking. Right thinking is built on biblical truth. Now here's a contemporary example, and I want you to hear me out because I'm going to offend some of you. Don't you love it when a pastor starts that way? All of a sudden everybody gets quiet and what, what, what's it going to do to offend me? It may upset you, but I want you to hear me out. Okay? Because I'm committed to teaching you to think correctly. How are we, as believers, supposed to think of the Haitians who crossed our border illegally in the last couple of weeks? Now, don't make the mistake of only looking at them through political eyes. Because you, you see, the two halves of the political aisles are, are, are saying two totally different things. One is saying, they're illegal, get out. And the other is saying, aw, let them come in. We are not primarily political creatures. We are biblical creatures, people of God. And so regardless of our political stance, we must recognize them as people made in the image of God. And some of them are fellow believers and therefore part of my Christian family. 
So regardless of the political decision that is made on what to do with them, we must look at them with our Christian eyes. If they're hungry, we feed them. If they're thirsty, we give them water. And even if they have to go, they must be treated with love and compassion and respect. Now, I'm not telling you what we should do with them politically. That's beyond my call. I'm telling you as Christians... As followers of God, based on what we believe that God says about all people, we're to treat all people with love and compassion and respect. Did you get that? You understand that? If I offended you, I'm not sorry. Because we need to know biblical truth. And biblical truth is, no matter what the political situation is, every human being is made in the image of God and needs to be treated with love and compassion and respect. Okay, and that right living is built on right thinking. So our thinking must be built on doctrinal truth. Our behavior is derived from that truth. Right living is always based on right thinking, and only right thinking will lead us to accept the right standard of behavior, living a life worthy of my calling as a follower of Jesus. Understand, that's why doctrine is not just for theologians. What I believe about truth impacts my thinking. My thinking impacts my behavior. And so if my understanding of God is wrong, or my understanding of Jesus is wrong, or my understanding of the gospel is wrong, or my understanding of salvation is wrong, or my understanding of people is wrong, then it's going to impact how I treat people, how I live, whether or not I'm living worthy of the life, uh, uh, worthy of the calling. So I have to understand what the Bible teaches about God, about Jesus, about salvation, that I didn't earn it. It was a gift of God. And so I'm not better than anybody else. And that all people are made in the image of God. And so I must treat people in the biblical way. Now you and I may have, and we probably do, um, different political opinions on, on various things, but faith comes before politics. And our faith is built on what God's word teaches. So understand, right living is built on right thinking. Now Paul's second thought in here, and kind of the, the overall theme of this passage, is that right living is unified living. And that's the theme of the verse we read, verses 2 and 3. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so here's the truth here. Believers live at peace with one another, especially other believers. So now, go back to point one. This is built on right thinking. Unified living is not just a utopia, it's based on the truth of the gospel, and we can do that in this world. So understand some of the truth of the gospel that he's already given us. All people are made in the image of God and are loved equally by God. All of us have sinned, so we have no claim to say we are better than anybody else. None of us have been made right with God except by God's grace through faith, and therefore all believers are equal parts of God's family. And so based on these truths, then we are called to unified, not separated, angry living, but unified living. Now, I'm not telling you this is automatic. I'm not telling you it is easy. But if we correctly understand our relationship to God and to others, 
we can do this. We do not have to wait for heaven. We can live in a Christian community, a church and the larger Christian community in which there is real unity. But I want you to see, Paul says it takes at least four things for this to happen. It takes humility. A humble person is one who keeps relationships in proper perspective. Jesus comes first, others come second, you and I come third. That's a humble person. He's committed first to God and secondly to others and then to himself. By the way, I, I, I gave you that little reminder of that a couple of weeks ago. J-O-Y, joy comes when you have it in proper perspective. Jesus, others, you. A humble person has that perspective and doesn't think more highly of themselves than they should. By the way, that J-O-Y is the exact opposite of what the world is teaching you. And that's why there's so little unity in the world, because the world is teaching you this. It's all about you, your thoughts, your opinions, and if others don't see it your way, they're idiots. I mean, that's pretty much what the world is teaching. And you see it all over the political world, the social world, the, the entertainment world, the sports world. It's all about me, my thoughts, my opinions, and if you don't see it my way, you're probably an idiot and you don't understand reality. Listen, that's pride and that's arrogance. That's the exact opposite of humility. Humility is necessary for unity. And by the way, here's the conundrum about humility. Once you believe you have it, you probably don't. <laughs> I got this. I'm really good at humility. No, that's pride, okay? So, so that's the challenge. We always have to be working at it. Okay, if you think you have it, you probably don't. It takes humility. Unified living also takes gentleness, Paul said. Unified people treat others with gentleness based on compassion and respect. If you treat others harshly, if you enjoy name-calling and put-down with the desire to hurt rather than to heal, then you have left Christian behavior behind and you have adopted the world's standard. Did you get that? If you enjoy names and put-downs and, and name-calling and you like to hurt others when you're arguing with them or debating them, then you have left Christian behavior behind and you're operating by the standard of the world rather than the standard of Jesus. Understand this, the world treats being brutally honest as a badge of distinction. Christians need to take the brutality out of it and keep the honesty. Because our, our, our desire is not to hurt, but to treat others with gentleness. So, so living right is unified living. You need humility to do that. You need gentleness to do that. And everybody's favorite, you need patience to do that. Or as Paul puts it, bear with one another in love. Now, if you're unsure of what this means, just think about you and your own relationship to God. And think of how God has been so patient with you. Think of the second chances he's given you. And the third chances he's given you. And the 47th chances that he has given you. Think of how many times he has forgiven you and how much he still loves you and treat others accordingly. 
Now I want you to know that this is not just theology. I had an opportunity to put this into practice this week. As I mentioned, this was the first week of our basketball league, and uh, one of our basketball players came on Tuesday night, and I was the, 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 the staff member kind of on duty that night accepting sign-ups and assigning people to teams. And, and uh, so he came, and he signed up um, at the end of practice, and, and then he left the parking lot in the typical macho way that 16-year-olds often drive. I mean, he didn't just back out nicely and take off. He backed out, whoom, and he spun his tires and he went out. The problem is when he went, whoom, he hit my truck, and then he took off and left. Not, not, not the smartest thing in the world because he just gave me his name and his phone number, and everybody there knew exactly who he was. And one of our coaches called me. I was locking up the building. He said, uh, Pastor Jack, is, is this your gray truck out there? Yes, it is. Yeah, well, and he gave me his name. I won't give it to you. Just backed into it, and he took off. Now, I wasn't the happiest camper in the room right then, okay? But as I, we called him, he didn't answer. And we texted him, and he didn't answer. But we had his mom's name, so we called her, and she and he were on the, the way back. God reminded me of several times in which I had been in accidents. And I remember how my dad treated me, my my both my earthly dad and my heavenly dad, treated me with love and compassion and required me to pay for my mistake, but didn't yell and scream and rant and rave. And so I determined to treat him accordingly. Here's what I'm telling you. These things are not just theology. They, they, are, they are real life, and you come into contact with them every day. And this is a young man we're trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to be able to do that by yelling and screaming and ranting and raving. Oh, yeah, I told him, look, we've all made mistakes, but you need to stick around and deal with them. I was honest with him, but not brutal. And tried to be loving and encouraged him to stick with the team and not leave an embarrassment. Right living is unified living. It takes humility, gentleness, patience, and it takes work. Make every effort, Paul said, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort is a direct admission that it takes work. Make every effort means that unless you and I work at it in the church and in the broader Christian community, unity is not going to happen. It takes work. It takes effort. Now, for some reason, God has led me to use controversial examples today not to solve them but to teach you how to deal with them so listen carefully and in a spirit of unity one of the things that is being hotly debated in the world and in the church right now is something called critical race theory now listen we need to try and understand it we need to try and look into the word and find out what the Word teaches, and apply it to that. But when we talk about it, we should do so in a spirit of love and compassion and respect and unity. Harshness in talking about critical race theory has led to an incredible lack of unity in the Southern Baptist Convention 
and much to my chagrin and hurt, has led many black pastors and black churches to leave the Southern Baptist Convention. And where unity should prevail, and where love across ethnic groups should prevail, our harshness and our meanness in talking about it has brought disunity rather than unity. And that hurts me. Because the church needs to fight hard against racism based on biblical teachings that all people are made in the image of God. A man I admire, Josh McDowell. Some of you may know that name. Years ago, he read, wrote the book that I just loved, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Um, kind of the, the first um, evidence-based book on Christianity that I ever read said some things in the last couple of weeks that were highly judgmental, deeply hurtful to the black Christian community and to black Christian families. And that's led to a growing disunity in the church. Now, to his credit, he has since apologized and taken it even to this level. He says, I am backing out of active ministry for a time to rethink, repray, and re-listen to God. And when I come back and speak, I want to do it from a biblical perspective and not be harsh and judgmental and say things that just aren't true. Now, I'm not telling you anything at all that I believe about critical race theory. What I'm teaching you is how to deal with it and talk about it in a spirit of community and love and respect and compassion. Because our angry words often hurt and bring disunity, and we are called to unified living based on the biblical truth that all people are made in the image of God. That's not just all white people. It's not just all brown people. That's not just all black people. That's not just all English-speaking people. That's not just all Republicans or Democrats. That's not just all conservatives or liberals. All people are made in the image of God. And so right living for a Christian is unified living. And if you can't live in unity with other believers, you are not following Jesus Christ. Did you get that? Did I come off strong enough? If you cannot live in unity with other believers of all races, backgrounds, ethnicities, philosophies, political principles, if you cannot do that, you are in, I'll be even stronger, in rebellion against Jesus Christ. Right living is built on right thinking, and right living is unified living. And then he closes with this principle, right living is based on one. And I, I love how Paul brought home this principle of unity. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There shouldn't be a white church and a black church. There shouldn't be an American church and a Mexican church. There shouldn't be Republican churches and Democratic churches. There shouldn't be emotional churches and quiet churches. There is one, if there is any doubt at all, notice how Paul emphasized this. He says there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. The most unified 
integrated, cooperative, friendly, loving, and compassionate group in the world needs to be the church of Jesus Christ because there is one body, spirit, hope, Lord, faith, baptism, and God who is Father of all. And we are allowing our politics to divide, and it shouldn't happen in the church. Faith in Jesus comes number one. Politics is way down the list. Which team you like, the Raiders or 2-0, and o, is even further down the list. Because what unites us is our faith in Jesus Christ, and we need to live that way. So, what the, the, the primary command, and I've just kind of talked around it, is the command to live a life that is worthy of our calling. How are we supposed to do that? I'll give you two things. Number one, learn the truth about God and others. Work hard to study the scriptures and learn the truths that are in there. And then accept them as your truths, your philosophy. You won't live right until you know who God is. You won't live right until you know who Jesus is. You won't live right until you, you know that salvation has everything to do with God and very little to do with you except for faith. And you won't live right until you learn that every single human being is made in the image of God and is worthy of the same exact love, compassion, and respect as you are. Until you learn these truths and buy into them and accept them and make them yours. They're not just biblical truth, it's Jack's truth and your truth. Until you buy into these things 100%, then your behavior is going to be wrong because your thinking is wrong. So learn the truth about God and others and then accept the truth about you. If you are a Christian, then you are a follower of Jesus, a representative of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, an ambassador of Jesus. If you are a Christian, then God has paid a horrible price, the death of his own son on the cross, to forgive your sin and give you eternal life. And by the way, understand this, your eternal life has already started. It does not start when you die. It starts when Jesus comes into your heart. So from that moment forward, you are called to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Sometimes people argue about, you know, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament and the different standards and which is higher. Listen, there is no higher possible standard than to say you are to live a life worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. You can't trivialize it. You can't knock it down. You can't say it's no big deal. Living a life worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ is the highest possible standard. And you and I are called to live by it. So, so here's what I'm asking you to do today. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, understand the gospel. You have a God who loves you. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you and that anyone who puts their faith in him is giving eternal life. And if you've never made that decision, I'm inviting you to make that decision today. And if you've made that decision, then I'm asking you to accept the calling God has put on your life to live a life that is worthy of who Jesus is. So we, we have this custom 
this chance to respond. We, we call it an invitation, but it's a chance for, for you to make your decision public or, or just to come and pray. So you can pray with people who will be down here. You can pray at the altar. Um, you can let us know on a connection card or the people up front that you're making a decision to follow Jesus, to invite Jesus into your heart, to join our church, and we'd be more than happy to talk to you in more detail about it. So if God leads, after I pray, I invite you to come forward. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church. If we can help you in any way, please contact us. Our information is on our webpage at abcaz.net or you can call us at 623-932-2723. Thank you and may God bless you and your family.